ideal. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horror. In the end, it's our ideal. Many people think that the best way to escape war is to dwell upon its horror. Up close with Monique McNeil on WUTY 97.9 FM. Thank you all for tuning in to Up Close with Monique McNeil. I am your host, Monique McNeil. And today we have a very special guest with us on the line today. We have the uh, the president and co-founder of Salem United Incorporated on the line with us today, uh, Doreen Wade. Thank you so much for being with us today, Doreen. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk to the guests. We're going to let them know about all the wonderful things that Salem United Incorporated um, has done, is in the midst of doing its significance, and how I must say that I myself am a proud member of this organization and the power and the trajectory of influence that it's having right now um, is is monumentous. So once again, it is such an honor to have you on the line with us today. Well, thank you. And and by the way, I want to state that it is an honor to have you on um, on in our organization as well. We thank you for the contributions that you are making. Salem United actually started because. Um, we were going to an event every year in Salem, Massachusetts, and it was starting to diminish. There was no entertainment. Right. You know, we're out in this beautiful park on the water. We have no vendors. It just was losing its own. And um, I decided, along with my mother and one of my very good friends, to see if we could rebound it back to what it actually was. Um, and through that excitement, we found out that it was actually the first black voting system that dates back to 1740. Now, I know many of you listening are saying to yourself, did she just say voting system? Yes, it was actually called, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was actually called Negro Election Day, Negro because of the time. Um, and the terminology that was used, um, because at that time, Negro was an actually a word that was used in respect of a black person. Right. right. So they would nominate. Now, these were actual men who were taken from their homeland of Africa, enslaved and brought to this country. And they landed in Massachusetts. And they landed in what is now called the South Shore. So um, they would run for an election and they would get voted and they would win this seat. It was called either a black king or a black governor, depending on where you were. Mm -hmm. And they would actually rule because so many people, when we talk about slavery, they think of the South, they think of the whipping and the beating. Um, and that was the purpose of Negro Election Day. So these things did not happen. They were actually very educated. Um, one of the black kings, which um, is named Pompey, 
He was actually educated, could read, could write. And in those days, they called them a clothier. Today's terminology would be a fashion designer. Wow. So contrary to the beliefs of, of what, you know, I must admit, I was not as educated or uh, as informed uh, to the correct information. And, and let's be clear, no one really is informed or aware of the, the, the history of what took place. So you're saying that, or, or the facts are, the history states that contrary to the belief where we believe that up north there were no slaves, that, you know, when we think of slavery, like you said, we think of the deep south, but contrary to the facts, that actually is not true, that slavery actually did happen here um, in the north, um, and they were actually given a day to come out and vote? Well, actually, um, slavery in this country... (laughs) which a lot of people don't know, actually, one of the first slave ships actually sailed out of Massachusetts um, between Marblehead and Salem. And when they were brought here, they were slaves. The only difference in the meaning of slavery of the South and the North was um, it was not as abusive as portrayed. But you were still a slave. Um, A lot of the terminology that people like to use in the North is you were a servant. A servant is, terminology of servant is no more than a high-class slave. Right. So they were given, actually, it started off as a two-week process. Because these men would travel around to different places in their communities. And they would actually hold debates, just like debates are held today, just not on TV or or with the Internet. Um, But it was the same type of debate. Questions were asked from the community. They were answered. And they would get on their horse and ride to the next community. And then on that one day, uh, we know it today is the third Saturday in July. But the day was actually changed several times because it was actually in May when it first started. And then it was changed to June. And then it ended up in July. Um, It it was even in Boston. It was even changed to January because they were hoping that blacks would not meet on the Boston Common Mm. because it was snowing and it was cold. And when that didn't work, (laughs) <laughs> they just built legislation saying black people could not gather in the Boston Common, and that's what kept Negro Election Day being practiced in Boston. Is that how it then turned to maybe perhaps really booming in Salem? Yes. Um, and actually, first it was in Lynn mm. on the Saugus River. And then when it became too large and Pompeii was no longer uh, one of the kings. It moved to Salem Willows. Actually, in 1880, when Salem Willows was built and established, it was one of the first events that was held in it. That's why if you go to the National Registry today, Mm -hmm. you will see Negro Election Day 
recognized within the National Historical Society under Salem Willows Park. Wow. Wow. That is just so astonishing uh, to know that this type of history existed in it, and it was just covered up. It was ignored and, and unrecognized. But this history happened, and it's interesting. What's even more interesting is that there's a lot of people, or not a lot of people that I know, that would go to, as they say, they would call it Black Picnic, but we did. We're going to get into why we actually changed that name from Black Picnic to Negro Election Black Celebration Day. But a lot of people would go out to to Salem Willows on the third Saturday of July, and you would see the cookouts and the, the gatherings, and it was just like... I remember as a child it just being in awe of, wow, all these black people, just never really seeing that many black people in one place cooking and, and cooking out and dancing and just so gathering. I, I remember always being in awe of that as a little girl. But a lot of people didn't realize exactly what they were actually celebrating. If you ask a person right now, did you go to that celebration, Black Picnic, at Salem Willows? And they would say, yeah. And you would say, why? Why Why is it this day on, on every third Saturday of July? Why are you here besides the cookout and everything else? What is the history? And a lot of people look at you like, I don't know. I don't know what the history, I don't know what the history is. It's just something we did. You know, we, we get in a car or we come out with the church and we get in a van and everybody comes and it's just what we did. But nobody yeah. ever understood that history. Yeah, and I have to say I'm just as bad because um, my family is actually originally from Massachusetts, I can go back to 1600, and my family is here. So we were going to this event for hundreds of years with no knowledge of it. And the only reason why I became um, privy, as I call it, I unmasked this yes. history, yes. is because when COVID came and we had to cancel the event um not necessarily people going down to the park but the actual uh entertainment mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. and the events that happened during this day i wanted to find out why we really went so when i pulled all my documents and my materials and paperwork together mm. i started going back in time right and I started seeing newspaper articles saying Negro Election Day in Salem Willow. Right. And I'm like, what? So I kept going and I kept going and I kept going until I tied these two events. And that is, to me, that is the harm and the damage that this history was caused. Because in so many generations, we're losing the knowledge of why they were going and they started changing the name. And we, and when the churches took it over, they wanted it labeled Sunday picnic because they moved it to Sunday so that the churches could go. Mm -hmm. And then when the churches were no longer doing it and World War II came, it was changed uh, again to colored people's picnic. Right. And um, then they changed it back to Saturday. And then during the Black Power Movement and the Civil Rights Struggle, it became the Black Picnic. Right. So 
Um, ironically, when you were speaking a moment ago and you were saying how we don't use the name Black Picnic and we changed it, we actually did not change it. We actually restored its name right. of its origin, which is Negro Election Day. And in honor of Black, we're actually calling the celebration of the history Negro Election Black Celebration. That's when you come to Salem Willows on the third Saturday of July. And this is why it's but, so important to educate ourselves. Yes, because we 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 don't even realize that when society started changing, um, even our own uh, uh, appearance, we you know we went from Negro to colored to black. And in between Afro um, and then now African-American, with all those changes, we don't realize that we're losing our history. That's right. We are whitewashing our history by changing who we are and what we are. So I felt that the relevance and the importance of what this day represented, it should go back to its origin. That's right. And I think that people need to understand um, what the significance was and is. And I think by keeping that silenced, by keeping that masked, by keeping that hidden from from society, from our history books, from from our children is another form of suppression. It's another form of of not giving acknowledgement to the contribution of black Americans at that time that they, yeah. that we were and had it was had the capabilities of creating yeah. a self-governing system that we were yeah. stupid and uneducated and animals and ungodly we we actually had a, a a civilized system of government of governance and to ignore that or to not acknowledge that is in itself even more why it's important to to really pull back that veil and say no this is the history this is the the facts and we have to give acknowledgement we, we have to give acknowledgement well that's why i started um an exhibit last july yes um and i held it in salem um because with the grace of god i was offered a building um a hall in salem where i could at least start the education process. And I wanted to bring out the documents and the artifacts and whatever I found um, and bring it to life because I did. I went through an awful lot. I had people um, that look like me mm-hmm. calling me a liar and telling me that this history is not true. Right. And um, now, months later, I now have it at the Lynn Museum, and the documents that we have found, um, and and the more it gets out there, the more it is now starting to get accepted. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I, I I can honestly say, being um, a part of the exhibit, being able to be there um, and hosting, and and you know, being in the building when when travelers would come to take a look at this exhibit, they were in awe. I had, you know, I witnessed with my own eyes um, 
Partridge would come in and be in such a, a, a shock. I, I've seen people cry because they felt that they were being deprived, that they were being lied to their whole lives. I've seen older senior citizens really break down and say, my goodness, I've lived here my whole life. Or, you know, I'm a history teacher. Or, you know, how could they keep this from us? How could they not share in this history? How could they not, you know, how is that right? And I think that's when it became even more real to me how important it is that um, we as an organization or as a society um, let the truth be known. I, it, 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 it fed a, a fuel in my soul. I know I can only imagine what it done for you, you know, being the president and, and the founder of this beautiful organization. But for me, just being a board member made me that much more vested um, in, in pulling back the layers of the truth and, and doing more research and educating those who really seek this knowledge or those who, who don't seek it but are so drawn to it. You know, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, you know, it's really funny because um, I, I've called this exhibit um, for the past year and a half, Unmasking of Negro Election Day and the Black Vote. And now, once I start doing uh, my documentary and my book, I'm actually going to add a subtitle to it hiding in plain sight yes. because this history is mm-hmm. hiding in plain sight. Yes. We are walking by buildings who have the history inside there, but it is buried. But if you dig just a little, you will find it. And the more I dig, like when I first started this, um, and I found lists of names in Connecticut or Rhode Island because it also happened there as well. Right. Um, I would only find this one name, King Pompeii. And then as I'm digging and as I'm talking to other people in other museums and other historians, and they say, oh, well, it's in the library and it's, and it's, it's, it's in an archive book. And I'm like, well, in 2015, no one told me this. But now in 2021, it's all coming to light because I'm bringing it to light. Right. But now I find there's another king who lived in Marblehead. Wow. And then I find out there's another king who not only lived in Salem and in Boston, but he went over to Britain during... The War of 1812. Now, you think about this. We're talking about the War of 1812. And he went over there, got elected a black king, and he protected prisoners of war, black and white, Mm. and used Negro Election Day to protect them. And this is in Britain. And And then negotiated to get them home. In 1815, we're talking about a black man from Massachusetts Mm. negotiating with another country to bring home prisoners prisoners of war war Mm. that are black and white. This is a magnificent story of a veteran, a hero, 
but it's just it's just not told so well recognized i've never even yeah, heard recognized yes 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 right. no statutes we, no nothing yes no no and their only way it's going to be is if our own community learns about what is going on accepts this history for what it is and shows homage and honor to it and i'm not saying that because i started an organization and i want my organization recognized no i don't want the organization recognized history. i want the history recognized that's right that's right and it's just you know being someone who has always been such a champion of black history and really understanding and being proud of of the history here that you know that our contributions it's interesting how people you know their minds only allow them to go back to Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a baby compared to his predecessors that that ruled and that was actually governors. The, he was actually, they were his mentor. So it's, it's funny how when we talk about black history, we, we really limited to, you know, you and I, we've had several conversations how they only limit Black History Month to February. And it's just amazing how, there's so much more of a contribution that was made and it wasn't just in February and it wasn't just Frederick Douglass and it, it got, it extends at least a hundred years before his time. Yeah. So it, yeah. You, you know, you think about the Red Mons and how they, they actually had a, a flourishing um, catering business in Salem, Massachusetts. And yeah. they are never recognized. They are never even spoken yeah. about. And this is a, a family uh, that existed before Frederick Douglass was even thought of. So yeah, it, it's that's you know, I can honestly say I am just so proud to be a part of an organization that is so invested in educating, uplifting, preserving, and protecting, and that that is just the whole premise of, of what we are as an organization, and and it just scratches the surface, the very surface of what. It is that we have in store and what it is that we're trying to do and welcome um, all types of people to be a part and to contribute to unmasking, as you say, this history. Yes. Well, I am. I am proud to say we do have a very diverse group of board members yes. and ex officio board members, because what we're doing is we're not just talking. We are actually going out in the community recruiting people mm. of all statuses of in life That's right. and bringing them in right. um, into the organization. Now we know that people can't spend every month coming to board meetings and stuff. So that's why we have different categories for different people who want to serve and work with us because at some point our main goal is to have a building where we house a center and a museum and the museum will do the educating and the center will, will be part of educating, but it will also do the rest, which I call the community building part. That's right. That's right. And it, not, not only have, you know, you, you have the museums and, you know, going on the exhibits, which um, is on display or will have its grand opening um, December 9th, 
I believe. Is that next week? Yes, it's December 9th at the Lynn Museum on Washington Street in Lynn, Massachusetts. Yes, so please come out and support and be a part of this. Um, it, it's it's open and free to the public, and we would love to see you there. We would love to have you in attendance for, for this magnificent um, evening. Um, but it, it also goes beyond um, just this exhibit. Um, we've actually, and with the work of involving other um, government officials, I mean, you, you've done amazing work with Senator Joan Lovely, um, which I, I've had the privilege to actually meet her. She's an amazing, amazing woman. Um, but this is actually have taken some legislative um, pro- process. This, this, there is a bill that has been spoken on on the Senate floor, I was able to witness you speak on the Senate floor um, for to create Negro Election Day as a holiday. Yes. Yes. Senator Joan Lovely, back in when I approached her in 2018, um, we started developing this bill. We had a few hurdles along the way, but thank God on November 10th of 2021, we went before the Senate to have a hearing on um, making this a holiday. Now, people will say, why do we need something called Negro Election Day a holiday? Um, Well, just turn on the news and look at all the voter suppression that is going on in this country. So we want people to understand that we had a voice in 1740. And in 2022, when election time comes around, we're not going to lose the voice that we worked hard to obtain in 1740 that was taken away from us during the Jim Crow era that we've obtained back during the civil rights movement. And now we are going to lose it again. So that is why I feel it is very important to not just make this a state holiday, but after we're done with it passing, we are going to make sure that it becomes a federal holiday. And in every state across the country, right. we are going to be honoring when black people voted, when they had their own self-governing, which will give us pride and respect. And it will show that we do have a voice and we do need to keep using it. Yes, I love it. And it, it speaks values because I just feel like, you know, I, I've, we've had several conversations about this um, in the past, but I just feel like this is the time. This is the moment right now. There's such this momentous energy that is happening. And um, it, I, I feel it in, in really every entity. And I, I can honestly say I believe that it really fueled um, as a whole and since – George Floyd. Since the George Floyd incident occurred, I feel like there's this new um, energy of bringing about accountability, of bringing about um, uh, standing up and speaking out to what is right and what is wrong. And I think that is is, is just I, it's an energy that I've never felt or experienced before in my life. Um, and, and or that I've seen, I've seen ordinary people who, you know, years ago wouldn't give two hoots about, 
you know, anything outside of themselves. But it, it, I, I, I feel that George Floyd really forced people to say, if I'm not a part of the problem, then I'm a part of the, if, I, if I'm not a part of the solution, then I'm actually a part of the problem. And if exactly. I see something happening, if I see injustice being done, if I see suppression being done, and I look the other way, even though I'm not part of it, I'm not, I'm not antagonizing it, but my silence is a submission that makes this okay. And, yeah. and, and I've seen that in every entity of people coming forward and saying, you know, I have to speak up. I, it, it, does it directly involve me? No, but it's wrong. And if I look the other way, I'm, I'm allowing this to happen. I'm allowing yeah. this to happen. So it's like this momentum that I feel that, it, that is happening. And it's just, it's the perfect timing um, of everything. Like they say, there's always a divine timing. And I just feel like this was a divine timing where we have um, the country's attention about what's happening. There's people who are outraged about what's happening, um, uh, particularly with the voting rights suppression, with a lot of things that are happening around this country. Um, the unjustified killings of individuals, um, the, now it's, it's like we're fighting for our woman rights. <laughs> it's just so many things. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm fighting so hard yes. to keep this education going, yes. to start a youth chapter in our organization, because what happens is we become complacent because we have our home. We're paying our bills. We don't have anything to worry about. We're living in a neighborhood where we feel like we don't have to worry about our child going out on a jog and never coming back. Right. But it, it, it is happening in more communities than people know. It's just there's not enough publicity out here to cover every one story. But believe you me, there is a lot of suffering going on in this country. And, and we just need to keep the momentum going and don't lose it. Because right. if we lose it, these stories that I'm bringing out, they're going to continue to get lost again in the shuffle. And then the stories that are happening today that need to be told, those are going to get lost in the shuffle. That's right. And it's about, like, you know educating and changing the narrative. I know that's something, you know, that we intend to do. And, and, you know, that's part of the mission of Salem United um, is really changing the narrative of, of education and how it's being perpetrated or how our history, black history is being perpetrated um, in schools and, and bringing this awareness and changing the narrative to extend beyond just, you know, a Frederick Douglass or Martin Luther King. It's so much bigger. Well, than I'm going to, I'm going to go a little further than even that. Okay. There are there are even more some school districts. This is 2021, and we have school districts that are not even teaching black history. Wow. And not even during February. Right. Because they either don't know it or they don't have anybody to teach it. So that is another um, idea we have to do. We have to look at our school system. That's right. Not just our inner school system. We have to look in our suburban school system and realize that we don't have black and brown and Asian teachers. That's right. You know, out there teaching our children the true history of things that go on. You know, I mean, there is, I, I decided when I, you know, when we get this building, 
one thing I wanted to do is I'm shocked that I talk to people who have never been in a town or a city hall. So they don't even know what goes on in there. So we are going to open up the doors as soon as life can have some kind of semblance of reality and open up the doors and get people in these buildings to understand what goes on in here. Right. Because it's not just enough to t- to teach the past. We have to relate the past with the future while we're teaching. That's why my exhibit starts at 1700 and doesn't end until 2021. And I will continue that on to 2024 and so on and so on. That's right. That's right. And getting in there and educating um, each other and getting the kids involved and getting people involved and making them be a part or allowing them to be a part of their, of, of this organization and of their community and allowing their voices to have some substance. You know, you know, you talk about creating a, a youth chapter and it's just such a phenomenal idea because this is how we start the the young leadership in our children. Yeah. This this is yeah. how, this is how leadership begins, and it, and it doesn't have yeah. to. <laughs> it doesn't have to start right when you you know get out of high school and you're on your way to college. It starts in the way we think and how we include their voice in our narrative, how we include their voice in our decision making and um, policy making because yeah. they matter. They matter. Yeah. yeah. And I know all our young people who are going to be part of this um, youth youth um, division, they are all going to be acknowledged in their schools as contributors to civic community organizations and civic work in their community. So they will be getting um, pluses in their grades towards this and they will be meeting I don't know about every state but I know in Massachusetts it's a state requirement for high school students and middle school students to do these kind of programs so they are going to be getting they are going to be getting credit for it they're not going to just be used as volunteers doing nothing no they are actually going to hold their own offices and they are going to be out there doing the work for each other Amazing. It's amazing. And this is how we change. This is how we keep our children in, involved and in tuned and out of trouble and in, in, in allowing them to imagine or to really step into who they wish to be, that this can yeah. be a reality. This is not something that's made up or only seen in, you know, suburban neighborhoods. No, you wish to yeah. be a teacher or you wish to be a part of government. Well, you know what? We're going to pull you in and we're going to allow you to be in that world. It's a, it's about making, you know, their ideas become reality, uh, allowing exactly. them to see that it's obtainable and it's accessible. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Because I know there are a lot of programs in different cities and towns that now are teaching entrepreneurship and business to high school students, but that is great. But they also have to know once they get those businesses how to handle themselves mm-hmm. in the system, mm-hmm. in the government, in the environment, because it's not just enough to own a business. 
you got to know how to manipulate yourself in the business world. That's right. And hopefully through our organization, they will be learning that. That's if right. they want to get bills passed so that their businesses are successful, they're going to learn how to get a bill passed That's right. in the government. That's right. And, and learn, gonna, and learn yeah. that it's not something that just can be done only if you're a... a, a only if you're a senator or only if you're a congressman. Exactly. Bills can be exactly. passed by ordinary people. You and I, I can exactly. create a bill right now. People have a voice, and it's the power of the people. And having that, that space or that knowledge to say, oh, my God, I really do have a voice. What, hap yeah. to what happens in my society? Yeah. yeah. That is correct. Amazing. So I am, I, I you know, it's really funny because people, I, I interviewed with a woman today and she asked me, how did all this come out of sitting in a park one day cooking and celebrating with my family? And at first I wasn't sure how I was going to answer her. <laughs> and then basically I said, I just looked around to figure out why I was here and why I wanted other people to understand why I'm here. And that's how I got from sitting down, eating, and and having a cookout and to, to a youth division and to working with the governors and senators. And, and it, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> there are days when I don't want to get out of bed. Right. But I say to myself, it's worth every moment that I see an eye tear up or, or an excitement or somebody call me and say, can I be a member in your organization? Um, because I love what you're doing. And it's that togetherness. And, you know, it's fitting for the name United Salem united because together we can all be united it, it, it really yeah. just is so fitting when i think about the different you know different uh meetings that i've been a part of or the different partnerships that we've been able to uh develop throughout our community and how essential that is and how how much of a major role that that plays um to have those partnerships i you know you're talking yeah. partnerships with you know, the police department all the way to the, you know, parks and recreation, all the way to the to, to the schools, um, to the just every entity, universities. Yes. Um, yeah. It's it's really a partnership. And I'm just I, I'm in awe by all the work that you've done and, and will continue to do. I'm just in awe by, you know, your tenacity and your strength to push through when it, it hasn't always been easy for you. Been... No, it has not been easy. Right. Uh, to sum it up, I've been threatened, blackmailed, right. uh, intimidated, right. uh, everything but run out of the state of Massachusetts. That's right. And yet, um, I look, I look back when my mother was alive, and she would say, "Oh my God, this is like the '60s." I'm afraid somebody's going to come after you and get you, you know, but now that I look back at where I was and how I've gotten here, um, it, it was all worth it. That's right. 
That's right. And, and, and that's exactly what it means is to stand up and to stand out and say, no, I have a right to be heard. And I, you know, if you're not listening to me, I'm going to find somebody else who's going to listen to me. But guess what? You're going to end up listening to me. And it's that thought process because it's so easy to say, you know what? This is too difficult. I got enough going on in my personal yeah. life. I'm exhausted. Yeah. These people are crazy. They're giving me a hard way to go. I, I just don't want to do It's so much easier to back down and stay complacent. That's the easy it, route. It is a lot easier. But like for me, and I love to tell this story, um, there was a day when I wanted to back down. And one day I sat on a Zoom meeting and I listened to a 14-year-old young lady stand up and speak out in behalf of this organization. And I said, that's why I can't give up. Because of young people like that, I felt like I did something right. She came to my exhibit. She met me. Uh, I was invited to the school. I, and, and, and you never know how you affect somebody until the day that young lady spoke. And I said, this is what makes it all worth it. So I won't back down. I don't think I'll ever back down. <laughs> and I love it. And this is how change is going is, is gonna to happen. And you keep inspiring. It's like it's amazing when you don't really realize how much of an inspiration that you really are to a lot of people. That people are looking at you and they're like, my gosh, she is just so inspirational. And because of her strength to go against people who, you know, are really in a position of power. That, that itself is, is, is intimidating. And you have just this way of rolling up your sleeves and clearing your throat and, you know, putting on your boots and getting ready to, to you know, have a showdown. And to, to go against anything or anyone who's trying to keep this history or our history um, silenced and that in itself is just so in, such an inspiration and it's it's amazing like you said to see these kids you know kids stand up and say no I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up and back what is right and that's what mm -hmm. we have to teach our children is to stand behind I will put my name on the line behind anything that is right and that's and, and that's how it starts and that's, that's starts. correct that is definitely correct and and you know it it makes it it makes it all worth it when you say, you know, you start out with this situation and wanting to educate and wanting people to know, just know what the history is. You're not looking for acclimates. You're not looking for people to pat you on the back. You just want to educate. Mm -hmm. And then a day comes, um, like hopefully is coming to us, where we are fighting, we not fighting, um, because we really didn't have to fight this one, where somebody says to us one day, wow, we're going to work to make sure that this exhibit is in the Massachusetts State House. How wow. does that happen? How does that happen? Oh, my God. You don't know how to react and respond, but at least you realize, wow, 
I must be doing something right to have a black exhibit in a state house where I think if we walk through it, you may only see one black representation or maybe two. And not only that, there now is a flag attached to us called yes. the Black American Heritage Flag. And that flag was designed by two black men from New Jersey. So now Massachusetts and New Jersey have combined their history into one. And that flag and was that created fl back in the 60s, right? It was created in 1967. It's actually called the Black Heritage, Black American Heritage Flag of 1967. And that flag will one day be flying in front of the Massachusetts State House. I mean, it's, it's, I just don't even know what to say anymore because every day is a new venture for me. So it's, it's a whirlwind. But, you know, I'm, I'm proud and I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for everyone before me and everyone who will come after me. I, I, I can just say it, it, all the people just must be so proud. I know I am proud. And, and that day, um, this past July, the third Saturday of July, uh, I was able to witness um, and be in attendance with um, Governor Baker. And we had a, um, ambassador from the from the the White House here, and to watch them witness with me this flag be raised for the first time um, in history was just um, I I can't even articulate in the words of what that felt yeah. like. Yeah, and if anybody wants to see any of the information that I'm speaking on, or any of the images that went on that day you can go to our website at SalemUnitedInc.org and it, it'll give you history, it'll give you um, images, it, it will follow through a lot of what I'm doing and there'll be interviews, there'll be an interview up on the website with the, explaining the flag and um, there's so much up there and I, 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 listening in to me is not enough uh, to really just look at it, read it, and see it, uh, it's it's going to change your. It's just going to change your perspective. That's right, and we have so so many you know events coming up. Um, the the museum, uh, like I said, the opening um, uh, December 9th. Um, it's it's happening in inland Massachusetts, and uh, you can find that information as well on uh, Salem United. Inc.org, and we would love for you to be there. I know I will be there in person, um, and there's just going to be so many amazing things happening. Um, the exhibit will be up until, what is it, the spring, early spring is what we're looking at? Yeah, the spring, I think in April, because then we have to move on to another town called Marblehead, Massachusetts, um, and we'll be at the museum there, and then hopefully after that, we will be in the state house, and then hopefully after that, we might be in our own building. We're we're hoping and praying and working to have our own building. 
<laughs> it's been what a journey um, that that this is really have has just taken off. Um, you know, did you ever think in your in your wildest dreams that it would come to this? No, my my main goal was to preserve it, um, which is why I started Salem United. Um, my mo- main goal was to preserve this history, this event. This is even before I understand completely the history. I just wanted to preserve our annual event, um, which I had a lot of people fighting me on that as well. Um, I was considered an outsider. And even though I, I, when you spoke about the Ramon family, that's actually my descendants right in Salem. So that, that's, funny to be called an outsider just because you don't live there now but um no i just wanted to preserve the event and um then after i wanted to preserve the event and i was able to like i said then i just wanted people to understand the history and then after people started understanding the history and i started realizing the lack of a place for black history that's right i mean there's all kinds of black history on the north shore medford Mm -hmm. cambridge everywhere but where is there a main building to preserve all this history and in trying to get people who want to say wow you know we want to work with you we want to help you you know George Floyd with his murder, you know, we want to see things happen, but then you approach them. And when it comes to reality of doing anything, everybody then is like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, you're moving a little too fast. So then it just keeps pushing you and pushing you because you see so little. Right. That you just want more and more and more. And that's how I got from just preserving an event to where I am today. Absolutely. I, I, I could say for me, it was witnessing people in awe and wanting more and really wanting other people to know and wanting to take this information back home with them and and, and kind of like I said for me that's what fed my soul was to see other people um ordinary people white people black people old people young people just yeah. so interested um yeah. in the history and was like what this has to be told this has to be and it was just like okay it's not just my own desire because I've I've always been huge on 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 black history but this is really people Ordinary people, they, they are yeah. so in tuned and drawn to this information. Um, it's just so, it's just so amazing. Um, yeah. Is there a website or uh, that people can turn to if they want to contribute or to donate or to volunteer? We are getting ready. Yes, we are getting ready to put, um, we are getting ready to put up a GoFundMe page. Um, especially now that we want um, the building. And we need to raise $4 million. Um, We are going to put up a GoFundMe page. And then you could go on the website. The email address is there, which is basically the same as the website. It's SalemUnitedInc at Mm gmail.com. You can um, 
there are uh, there's pages up on the website that will tell you how to volunteer if you want to join. Everything is up on that website and can guide you to whatever help you need. And like I said, within the next week or two, we will be putting up a GoFundMe page. And we are also on Facebook and Twitter. I haven't learned how to use Instagram yet. <laughs> I'm one of the older generations, so everybody bear with me. I got you, but girl. I'm going to show you. <laughs> we will have Instagram up very soon. Amazing. So you have it, people. We hope that you, you know, check out the website. We hope that you, you know, all the people out there listening who are tuned in, um, that you come and take a part um, of this history is free and open to the public. Um, it is Thursdays and Fridays, I believe. Um, if, you, if you go to the Lynn Museum website, they give the um, times. And also, if you go to our website, we have posted the times up as well. And you can always email us if you can't find it and you can get the times. You can also ask for a special exhibit where I will do a personal tour for a group. Um, and you can also make an appointment. If I know a lot of people are still iffy, iffy about COVID. So you can always call and make an appointment and they will open up the museum so you can come in and see the exhibit. It's just amazing. We're going to have some amazing things going on, some lectures happening there um, at the museum um, with this exhibit, and it's just so wonderful. I'm so excited to see uh, the trajectory of of this exhibit, and um, the more, the merrier that come out and join us. On It's just, it's amazing. Um, do you have any last thing that you would like to say or anything like that? I would just like to say that all those who are in the area who really want to understand what the day looks like, uh, the third Saturday in July, please join us at Salem Willows Talk for entertainment. We have a parade at 12 o'clock. And if you're an organization that is listening and you want to be a part of the event, please feel free to contact us. We would love put out positive images into our community and show our community that we are capable of doing so many things. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on with us today. Um, once again, this is the, uh, the president and founder of Salem United Incorporated, um, Doreen Wade. You have you you just keep moving mountains, and you are such an inspiration um, to so many people of of hope and, and leadership. And I thank you so much for being on here with us. Today. And thank you for having me. So thank you all for tuning in. Um, you are uh, an amazing listeners out there. Um, I hope that you really go out and check out um, the museum and um, stay tuned to what we have uh, coming up in the future. Oh, and Merry Christmas and Happy Kwanzaa to everybody. And if this runs after the holidays are over, then that's okay. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, you guys. God bless.
She's the queen of all queens radio's number one host. It's Monique McNeil. McNeil.